It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. I'm Rob Commodore. I'm your host. I'm also the author of the book, Better Than You Think, and I am a real estate agent, have been for 21 years now. And today I have a special friend and guest on the on the line here on the show who's, I mean, this, you're not going to believe I'm going to tell you, this guy is crazy because my son back in September did an Ironman, a full Ironman triathlon, and he's doing a half one uh, on uh, June 5th. And as record, we record this, I'm talking to a guy who's done 11 full triath Ironman triathlons and 20 to 25 half uh, triathlons. As far as I'm concerned, that's sickness, Sean. So, Sean, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for being on here today. And I just say, just say hi first, and we'll get into a few things here. Well, I love an introduction where I'm called sick. That is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank Sean, you for having me. It is, oh, man. It is honestly very much an honor to, uh, to be here. Dude, I, I'm so happy to talk to somebody like you. Like when my son did it about, uh, I guess eight, nine, nine months ago, whatever it was. When we did that, the next morning, the next morning after he finished the triathlon, we're talking to a guy that's sitting in the lobby of the hotel, and he says, "Yeah, I'm going to do another tri- Ironman triathlon next week." And I'm like, "That's that's goofy." I'm not <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not telling you you're actually sick, but that's sick. So anyway, <laughs> so so this guy, you're not going to believe this. This guy. Sean does all these tri- Ironman triathlons, does 25, 20, 25 half. And I want Sean to share a little story with us to take us back to 1989. When you hear this story, you're going to be like, how in the heck did this guy ever do this? So Sean, thank you again for being here. And, if, and take me back to 1989 when you were getting ready to play a small college football, the deep division three school in Washington, Western Washington university. Go yeah, ahead. Sean. So, uh, I'm originally from the state of Oregon, 1989. I'm graduating from a little tiny school in Gaston, Oregon, 900 people, blinking yellow light. We did have three taverns, so uh, it was it was very small. And I had the opportunity um, to go play, you know, what, what would eventually be D3 football, small college football up here uh, in Bellingham, Washington. So recruited by a bunch of small schools, had a couple bigger D1 schools take a look, but uh, I'm not the biggest guy by stature. And uh, so felt, I I just remember coming up here to Bellingham on on a recruiting visit and absolutely just fell in love with the place. And I'm like, man, you guys are gonna pay for my schooling and I get to play football? Like, where do I sign? That's awesome, I'm with you. <laughs> so then, so it's 1989. You get you get a chance to play D3 football, and your the, the regular season is about to start. You're playing, I think, your last exhibition game right before the season start, and this is where your story starts. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take it back. It's actually so my freshman year. One of the reasons I went to Western, my true freshman year in it'd be 89, 90. Uh, I redshirted, which means it doesn't count towards my eligibility, but it's full practice and, and everything. And you're on typically on scout team. And one of the reasons I went to Western was uh, they had an All American running back as a senior. And then after that, there was there was nobody. And so I was like, you know what, this is my opportunity to, you know, compete for some playing time. So I really went after it my freshman year, even though I knew I wasn't going to play in any games and then came into my red shirt freshman year. So my sophomore year, uh, and everything's going, going well, um, running with the first team, kind of competing with some guys for that starting position. And we get right before the home opener and we have what's called a blue silver scrimmage. And, uh, 
you know, an organized scrimmage, but you've got referees, you've got, it's the full meal deal. Um, I was also going to be returning punts. So what happened was I ran my, my scripted plays there with the first team, uh, nothing special, just a, a good solid day. I'm waiting for special teams. And uh, a little bit later, my running back coach comes up to me and says, Hey, hack, we're going to insert eight running plays. Do you want four of them? I'm like, kidding me I get to carry the rock four times in a row like yeah I mean you know you're competing for a spot right so uh I said yes I said I've been sitting here for a little bit can I can I take the second four which they they let me do uh and it was two or three plays of those four and I kind of popped outside it was without going into too much detail it was uh a hit unlike any other by many many people like when you're competing I'm I'm, I'm a small guy and so when you get hit in a football game, you're weighing when to go down and when not to go down. You know, are you going to give up the battle so you can win the war type of deal? Um, but again, you're competing for a, a starting position, and I chose not to go down when I should have. And uh, I got hit by a wave of people and completely destroyed my, not just my knee, but my leg. We didn't know what to what degree at that point what was happening, uh, but it was... It was pretty catastrophic, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially, I guess I, the tight details is I got hit, the kneecap dislocated. I got hit a split second later, and the front of my leg, the quadricep, the top part, uh, hyperextended down to my shin. So, so you mean that? So, like the muscle, you can see from the outside, and not that we need graphic details here, but but you, yeah. you can see if, if I'm standing looking at your leg, you can see like the, the quad is like down on your shin. Yeah, from what I'm told on the on the on the the replay of the video, the it was completely, I guess, inverted. Um, it completely buckled. Uh, the crazy thing is, when they all I'm screaming by that point, I knew I knew I'd obviously blown my my knee. Um, I couldn't feel a, a thing at all, and I'm screaming, and they're asking which leg is it, and I said the bleeping leg that isn't moving. Uh, <laughs> as, as goofy as it sounds now, I actually had to ask if my leg was still there because I couldn't feel anything. Um, they loaded me into the ambulance type of deal and, and I got to the hospital. They heard the story. They assumed that I broke a bone. I didn't break a single bone. Uh, they knew that just based on everything that I'd, I'd blown out the, the ACL, the major uh, ligament in your knee, and I still had no feeling in my leg. And then, um, the team doc after a day or so said, you know, I can't find any detectable blood flow in your leg. There's too much swelling, you know, come back in a week. Um, my dad heard that and, and went bonkers and got a hold of, of all people. Thank goodness. The Seahawks uh, head physician, Dr. Brad Schaup at the time and uh, came rolling in and he was just blown away. So he continued all the testing and eventually found out, in addition to the torn ACL and, and all the nerve damage, the the bigger picture, the bigger issue was I had severed the artery in my leg. And, that's, um, and so he's telling you this. What's going through your mind right now? Is this the end of my football career? Am I going to have a leg still? Am I going to be able to walk? What's going through your mind? Yeah, you know, you're 19, 20 years old. I, I, I remember him walking in the room and telling me that and just kind of blown away. And, and I was like, what and he goes in his words not mine because i have no medical explanation why you have your leg um you know no detectable blood flow i didn't get gangrene there wasn't yet or anything like that 
they rushed me over to a vascular surgeon and I'm sitting there uh, with my dad and he's, you know, I, I just kind of, uh, kind of surreal setting, but I remember him pushing a piece of paper across the table uh, and I look at it and it's, this is the first realization of, oh my gosh, we're dealing with something like pretty significant. Uh, and it was giving them permission to amputate my leg if need be during surgery. Sean, I just got chills when you said that. And I know that story, but you're saying it again. And in the show, it just gives me chills. And I'm trying to put myself in your shoes when you're sitting there and somebody's, you have to sign a paper that says if they have to, you're giving them permission to basically cut your leg off. Yeah. That, I can't imagine, like, your head had to be spinning in that moment. Yeah, it was kind of, I remember going, I don't know if I laughed or it was just kind of this, you know, awkward like, are you kidding me? And I, I remember him saying, son, you have no idea how bad this is. Um, and so they went in for the first surgery. It was a Wednesday, I remember. It went uh, between six and seven hours. I woke up in ICU. And again, it's all kind of a blur. But I remember him bedside saying, you know what? It was so bad. It didn't work. We have to go back in tomorrow. Um, and that's when myself and my family really were like, Okay, here we go. I fully expected to wake up um, and had researched enough to know how they treat you in that situation. Um, I fully expected to wake up without a leg. And when I woke up and I see you and I was coherent enough to start like kind of figuring out, I knew from what I'd researched, they don't tell you right away. Um, and you're, they're loaded up on blankets and you've got that, uh, that syndrome where you can kind of feel like it's still there. And like the, that. the phantom syndrome, I think they call phantom it. Syndrome. That's yeah, it. Thank yeah. you. Um, I didn't know what an amputation looked like. So I, you know, I, I woke up and I had all these blankets loaded on me. And when everybody left, cause I, I didn't want to react in front of, you know, the family, I started rolling down the sheets and I get a little ways and then I, you know, stress out and kept doing it. And, and finally, eventually, I don't know how long it took me, but it felt like forever. And all of a sudden I kind of hit the upper part of my thigh and I see these industrial size staples just <laughs> one after another and i i was gonna i was panicked i thought i, I didn't like i said i didn't know how they get an amputation uh -huh. uh, but i thought that was the start of it so when i finally made it down past my knee and the staples just continued uh there was definitely a big sigh of relief oh my gosh man because we didn't talk about that part of it that's that's amazing so like in this process and this is just the first of several surgeries as you told me earlier so in the process of like you have this severe injury you could lose your leg like where like are, are you are you like like what's the spirituality what's the prayer life is there a prayer life is there a question like god why are you doing this to me what's going on there yeah i remember it was weird. I mean, this is, you know, obviously we're going back a few years. I remember again, being 19 or 20, you kind of have almost like that Superman man kind of feel like bring it on. Um, I don't recall ever, you know, questioning God or anything like that of like, you know, why me? There was definitely some, um, you know, you're crestfallen of, I don't know what this means for playing again. I mean, that was my athletics were my identity. Um, yeah supposed to run track at Western as well. So I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, so there's that part was, I don't ever remember questioning it. It just became, uh, honestly, it kind of became the next goal. They, they originally told me you won't walk for a year. You're not going to run normal for three to five. The frame of mind that you're in as a 20 year old, my first reaction was, well, what do I have to do to play again? 
Um, they're like, well, you can't play again. I said, well, let's forget that. Let's, what do I have to do? And they said, well, you'd have to have another surgery because um, you blew out your ACL. So now we got to go back. And back then that was career ending in and of itself. Um, so I said, okay, let's do that. So I chose to try to go back to, but um, it kind of goes back to when I was a little kid, right? And I'm this little kid who everybody always looked at me stature wise and said, you know, he can't do this or he can't do that. And then all of a sudden I'd have some success and I fed off of that. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I proved them wrong. Um, And so this just became another thing like, okay, I'll call the chip on your shoulder or whatever. Kind of became that next, okay, I'll prove you wrong. So you have the surgery, you had another surgery. And then, and we didn't even, I don't remember even asking you this before. Your football career, was it over there or did you get back to playing football at all? I had the third surgery about six to eight months later to repair the ACL. made a comeback, uh, made it to spring ball eventually. And again, at my size, I was probably the second smallest guy on the team. And uh, I'd never been scared on the football field, like scared, scared. Like I was always, you know, you're nervous and all that, but scared. And I remember the play during spring ball that uh, I knew I was done. Yeah. and hung it up after that. So I did, I guess you could theoretically or technically say I made it back, but uh, it, it was short lived. Well, but you, you made it back, but you were driven that. But something that crazy happens, like you said, like they did some kind of graph for you. And it typically lasts, I think you said five to six years or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. So what they did to save the leg is the, the artery in my leg basically pulled apart, severed, and was just destroyed right behind the knee. So to save it, they basically did a heart bypass. And so what they do is they, they went into my upper thigh. They took out, I don't know if it's six or seven inches of a vein and then grafted it in behind my knee, which became kind of the conduit, obviously, for my artery. And the idea is to continue on this popliteal artery to, to supply my lower leg with blood flow. Um, at the time, they said, hey, we, we've done the surgery, uh, but it's typically on older people or um, accident victims in car accidents. And we don't have a whole lot of details past five to 10 years. Um, so it's not a, it's not in, ever intended to be a permanent fix. And uh, so fast forward, mine kept lasting, kept lasting. And um, I guess that, that kind of flashes forward quite a ways, but I always had issues um, with it. There's also, there's always discomfort. You're always compensating, but you just, you know, you learn to live with it. But the artery itself kind of just floated into the background, kind of in the middle stretch of this, I guess, life journey. And, and so we talked about it because it's, it's kind of like, I want to go back and forth like zigzag here. Yeah, yeah. So it was, they didn't have any information past five to 10 years and, and tell us the miracle and part of this, that how long did this graph last? So, well, that flashes forward to literally about two months ago. Uh, I am in, that was, let's say 1990, we're in 22. So uh, what is that? Do my, my quick math for 32, me, 32 years, 32, 32 years. Uh, they have told me repeatedly surgeons from all across the United States, actually there, nobody has ever heard of a graft like this everlasting, not even remotely this long. Like, uh, yeah, the, the time's going back for, for testing or surgery since it's the same thing, no matter who it is, they're just blown away uh, by this miracle of, of it lasting this long. 
Man, that, that is so amazing. It just brings a smile to my face that they hear that's crazy. It's crazy. So so now let's go back. We did the zigzag up. Let's go a little bit, but let's go back again. So now your football career is over. Uh, you, you're giving it up. And, and then somewhere along the line, you got this itch to do, to, to run, to, to swim and to bike. Tell me about that. And, and when, when did that, when did that itch happen that you had to start scratching? I think, I, I think I have the yeah. dates here, but I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. And I became a typical, you know, has been college athlete, you know, playing some golf here and, and all that really not doing anything. And, and probably about right around the early two thousands, uh, a buddy of mine was into this triathlon thing and, and, uh, you know, I, I'd seen it when I grew up and all that kind of stuff, but I had no interest. I, I didn't know how to swim. I'd never taken swim lessons. I, I didn't know how to put your head in the water and do all that. And bike, I think I owned a BMX when I was 10 years old. And I don't think I, I don't think I'd ever been on a 10 speed bike before. Uh, and running ten speed, to ten, wait, 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 Sean, 10 speed. Now you're really dating yourself, but they don't even call them 10 speeds anymore, right? Uh, I had a 10 speed too. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. And then a run, like I always joke that, you know, I was a sprinter. So one time around the track was long distance, you know, for me. And my buddy had done an Ironman and he we started dinking around with it. He loaned me his wife's 10 speed. It was like a tank. And I remember going on, you know, this epic five mile bike ride. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is taking forever and I was dying at five miles um so kind of dinked around with kind of running and riding doing the duathlon thing like I said I couldn't swim uh my mom had been diagnosed with breast cancer uh Uh some years before that and um sometime in 2003 it it come back and I remember having a conversation with her and I think it was um I can't remember who which personal growth person it was, but his wife had had some sort of cancer and they, they chose not to talk about it. They chose to say like, if you come in, you're talking about what, what's the next goal to kind of set that vision and that target. And so my mom and I were talking about that and I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, how can we give her something? And she actually, at that point, um, she said, you know what, Sean, she said, I'm living vicariously through you kids now. I was like, okay. And somewhere in this, this Ironman thing had been rattling in the back of my brain. I don't, you know, it's kind of all a blur, but this is sometime in late 2003. And I said, you know what? Let's sign up for one. This is big. She's going to live vicariously. Let's go big and, and uh, kind of make this a way to honor her and everything. So signed up for uh, the Ironman Coeur d'Alene um, Triathlon in, uh, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It was going to be end of June, about six, seven months later. And I had to figure out how to swim and, and bike more than 25 miles at that time and run more than a 10K. And it was supposed to be, honestly, it was supposed to be a kind of a one and done bucket list, honor my mom type of deal. And uh, it ended up, I, I got the bug. So you got the bug. So what happens? Because I think my son has the bug now, right? I, I see it. And yeah. I see the people. So you do that in 2004, I think you told me, was the first triathlon. Yeah. And yeah. so you finished that. And when did you do the next one? Oh, it wasn't. So that was June. It wasn't too far. I think I waited a year. Usually you don't do more than like I have done two full Ironmans in a season in a, in a calendar year. It's it's tough um, to do that, to recover and just mentally, physically, all of that. Um, and then I went up to, to Canada for my second one. And it, like I said, it was supposed to be a one done. I actually hated that first one. It was miserable. Oh, I see. Um, it. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, but I want to make sure my mom had passed away in that, in that interim time. So I, I definitely want to honor her and find that finish line. But there's just something about the, after I had a couple of days of process, there was something about the race that 
has so many parallels to life, to business in such a short amount of time. You know, I mean, short, relatively speaking. And Ironman triathlons, you know, for those that don't know, is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon, uh, 26.2 miles, all done consecutively. You have to finish within a 17 hour time frame to be called, be called an Ironman. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's quite the experience, but yeah, there was something about it, the draw, the lure of trying to figure out something that seems so complicated and the emotional roller coaster, like in a 15 second time frame, even during a race is just, it's crazy. Uh, well, what was the, what was the emotions? Cause I got to ask this question. You, you had this like tragic thing happen with your leg, right? Traumatic. And yeah. that was what? 14, 13, 14 years earlier, and you've gone through the, the surgeries, a couple surgeries, you, you're having trouble, you might lose your leg, and now you're doing your first Ironman, your full Ironman. It, was there a point you like, where you're like, like pinching yourself, I can't believe I'm doing this, after all that, or like, man, I, I did this, man, I really, like, what was that feeling like? It well, Honestly, man, it kind of goes back to that previous thing. I hate to say it because it's it, it kind of a short-term fix. Uh, it's that... that Oh my gosh, I did something that nobody said I could do. Yeah. Um, how do you train for something that big in that short amount of time without knowing how to do those things? Um, it, it gave me a lot of confidence, you know, in business and, and everything else uh, and something completely out of my safe harbor, out of my comfort zone. Uh, so it was a huge inspiration to me, a confidence builder to me. It's like, oh my gosh, okay, bring it on. What can we do? Yeah. So, yeah, pretty, pretty exciting. It's the, it's the average Joe's Olympics, right? I mean, it feels like there's thousands and thousands of people there and, and they're cheering for everybody, but boy, it feels like they're just cheering for you that day. You know what? I love that you said that. Cause I tell people when I watched and I can only speak from watching as a dad and a spectator, cause I did a podcast earlier with my son. We talked about this and yeah. like you said, everybody's cheering for everybody, but, but, he never told me he felt like, and I'm going to ask him now that you feel like everybody's cheering for you. And it's just, oh, yeah. and it's all shapes, all sizes, all ages, all sexes. You know, like, man, it's, I saw a blind person do one. I see it's, it's a 75 year old guy crosses a line before my son around, you know, 10 o'clock at night. It's just, it's an amazing experience. So thank you for sharing that, Sean. But so now you've, you've done a couple of uh, Ironmans. You're still dealing with some of these issues with your leg. Yeah. And I can't remember when it was, but there was, I think maybe 16 or 17 where you were, you were going to compete in another Ironman. It was a full one in Arizona, right? Yeah. So, uh, in, I've been doing the Ironmans kind of pretty consecutively, um, getting better and better. I had the chance at a half Ironman, uh, I got to qualify one year, uh, to, to participate in the world championships. So I was, I was getting better. You know, I definitely was not, at the very pointy end of the age group, but I was getting up there and, and just having fun competing. Um, felt like I was making some good progress kind of 2015, 16. Um, but in 2016, started noticing some kind of weird things, but uh, the, the time frame had been so long. And I'm always dealing with discomfort and different things that you're compensating for because of that leg that you kind of you kind of almost forget about it in a, in a sense, but something was happening. I, I did an Ironman that year. I did a couple half Ironmans and then we get to the end of 2016. So I just finished my 11th. Um, we get to the end of 2016 and something's just not right. And we start doing some testing and talking to the doctors and one of the doctors, I was going to show up, up actually for a different 
procedure type of thing to test something which I was not excited about. And they thank goodness had forgotten the the testing equipment over at the hospital. And this particular surgeon said, you know what, just to just to be safe, he's you know, they, when they see the scars on my leg, they're all just like, oh my gosh, talk to me, tell me what happened. Um, so he's like, you know what, let's send you over for a vascular study uh, just to make sure. So they go in and it's a kind of a, a long process, but they're testing things in your leg, trying to test blood flow and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden things got kind of quiet during that and come to find out the graft that had now been what, 26, 27 years, uh, wasn't doing so well. And so the graft, I mean, we make it sound like it's this one kind of consistent tube of an artery, but it's like your main artery. If it's like, uh, I've always used the analogy of like those big red ropes, you know, licorice vines, the yeah, big, yeah. big ones. So if that's your artery coming down, it was basically down where the graft happened, almost like a spaghetti noodle. And that's what's feeding my lower leg. Um, and there was enough stuff to where he immediately sent something over to a vascular surgeon in town. Um, and I, I started to realize that something was up when they called me pretty darn quickly and said, you need to come in. Uh, so beginning of 2017, my wife and I went in. So my wife and at that time, I mean, we've only been married eight years now. Uh, so, you know, we'd only been married you know, a couple of years, years or, yeah. or whatever at that time. And, I'm telling the vascular surgeon the story she's looking at. She basically questions my entire story. I mean, like, that's not possible there. And that's the first indication, like going back to the graph she says, there's, there's no way it's possible. That's still a graph there. That graft has probably died. The artery. I mean, she had all these explanations and I left there. I feel, I actually felt really foolish. And I told my wife as we're walking out, I go, either I've been telling the wrong story. I've made this up for the last 26, 27 years or she has no idea what she's getting herself into. So she decided <laughs> to go in and do this operation to, to try to clear up this graft and, and do all sorts of things. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. And it came out and the follow-up to it, all of a sudden her whole demeanor changed. And I asked her, I was like, can I, you know, can I ask you a question? She says, yeah. I said, my leg's not what you thought it was. Was it like when you went in there, Oh no. She goes, that is the <laughs> craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't understand it. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. They put me on blood thinners and, and all that at this point, but she did at that point start to prep me for what could be one last big surgery um, to basically do it again, but truly now with a, a five to 10 year shelf life. Right. Okay. Uh, and so then things look pretty good. Uh, in the interim, though, it was kind of a wake-up call of, you know what, maybe my maybe my days of being able to do this are, are starting to be numbered. And Iron Man is a corporation, uh, and they have a program. So the World Championships are held in Kona, Hawaii, every October. And you have to qualify by your age group. The professionals do as well to go and compete there. But they have this little program called uh, the Legacy Program. And basically, it's a way to honor people who, um, you know, might have been right on the cusp at any given time, have never competed there, but have completed 12 Ironmans and I'm at 11, but they had these certain rules that you had to, con you had to get, you had to have all 12 done a certain amount of time. Well, this is 2017. I had to be, my 12th had to be done by December uh, of that year for me to qualify for this legacy program and get a chance to go compete, uh, in the legendary Kona, you know, lava fields. And, um, 
that scared the living crud out of me, but I also knew that's what I wanted to do. So I actually reached out to Iron Man and I shared my story with them. Uh, I got a phone call sometime later and I'm sorry, Iron Man. I know you told me not, I couldn't share anybody, but <laughs> I'll let the cat out of the bag. Bro. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, I'm not supposed to share, but they said, don't tell anybody. We're going to give you an entry into Iron Man, Arizona in November. Cross the finish line. You'll have your 12th done uh, and you can go, you know, you're going to be able to at some point be able to compete in Kona. And so that's all that was, that's what I needed. Uh, so fast forward, it's October. We're about four weeks away. My wife and I went to uh, Hawaii just on vacation, went for an 18 mile training run. And oh my gosh, Rob, it was like top three, maybe top, it might honestly be the top run ever just because it's magical wow. setting running through, you know, uh, sugarcane fields and, you know, finding these magical beaches. I mean, just, it was incredible, just magical. And I came back and tell my wife about it. I'm all excited and sure, you know, she's not her head, you know, Hey, okay, can we go to the beach? Uh, so I, so I was laughing and I said, yeah, let me, let me get ready. And we'll go to the beach. Well, within 20 or 30 minutes, I can't, it's like my, I can't even describe it. My legs not attached to my, in my brain, it's like I can't control my leg and I can't move it. I'm dragging it. I look like Igor. Um, it's like when they do one of those nerve blocks and you can't feel your, you can't yeah, feel Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a good way to put it. There's some pain to it and, and all that. But so something, since everything happened, I reached out to my vascular surgeon via email and just said, hey, this is what happened. She just kind of said, oh, you probably, you know, fatigue or whatever. Contact me tomorrow. So this exchange went back and forth and Fast forward, I still couldn't do a whole lot, but we're enjoying our time, getting ready to go to a luau, and we get a phone call, and the voicemail says, Sean, you need to get to the ER right now. It's not losing your leg over, not worth losing your leg over. And my wife and I looked at each other, and there was panic. I mean, my wife, I mean, she she knew the stories and the scars just like our girls did, but this is her first real, like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is for real. Yeah. Um, I called her back, and she said, well, where are you? And I said, why? She goes, oh my gosh, I don't want them touching your leg. It's too complex. We made the decision to fly back, not knowing what was going on. We made the decision to fly back. It was a Friday. I got dropped off and I went to the ER, told my wife and the girls to just go home. And uh, they finally found a pulse, a very, very faint pulse after about 20 minutes uh, on the top of my foot. And I raised my hands and I said, okay, thank goodness. Don't tell my wife that we cut our vacation short uh, for nothing. And he goes, oh, it's not for nothing. He goes, we're admitting you right now. I was like, what? And he goes, your vascular surgeon, it, it looks like you've got a blood clot. Jeez, we had just crazy. flown back from Hawaii not knowing. You know, I had a full blood clot in my leg. Uh, so got admitted and basically the short version, uh, three or four days in ICU and three back-to-back -back surgeries to once again save the leg. Um, and... Yeah. And, and so, so how long after that last surgery, I, I think you, have you done another Ironman to try it? Uh, I have not. Since? No. Okay. Uh, I have done two, two half Ironman since. And any, so, any repercussions from that? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that, like I said, they've been prepping me for this surgery uh, after which there's only one option after that left, which isn't uh, too exciting. Um, and here recently it's, it's flared up once again, and we can now officially say kind of going back earlier in the podcast can officially say that, uh, that bypass graft. So this is actually this last February. So very recent, um, 
the bypass graft that had lasted all these years is now officially gone. I'm oh, not, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it is, it did, I did end up having another blood clot. It calcified. So I, I'm not at risk of anything dislodging or doing anything funny. Um, but the, the miracle of it all, and I, and I don't use that term lightly, um, is all over all these years, my leg has developed like all this, the vein mapping, the veins and the, the corollary, you know, veins and arteries. Um, one has doubled or tripled in size and is now acting as my artery feeling, uh, you know, providing blood flow to my lower leg. Um, so it's kind of cool. The first, when she first told me that, I thought it was kind of cool. And then the next day I was like, okay, I'm kind of freaked out. Yeah. Uh, still dealing with that. Um, but in her words, she came, she came to me, uh, you know, in the recovery room after this last one, which would have been, I think the seventh, seventh vascular surgery, 11th leg surgery overall. And she has said, your leg continues to be a miracle. And so that's where I say, I, I don't use that term lightly. I, I feel very uncomfortable using that term actually. Uh, but you know, to have her say that in a head Seahawks head physician saying he has no medical explanation, uh, you know, that there's, there's higher powers, you know, well, that was my next question. Do you believe a higher powers at work there? And let's just, let's call it what it is. You believe God's at work there. How can you not? Right. right. I mean, people can argue and, and say, you know, oh, you had some blood flow here or there and you know, the, yeah. the, the miracle of modern medicine and, and all that. But I'll tell you, here's the thing I've learned. I mean, anybody who's had any type of surgery, surgery, surgeons like to cut. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Surgeons and doctors tend to be very linear, very, uh, you know, practical people. They don't use terms like miracles and I have no explanation. They don't, they don't tend to use those. Um, so when they say that it, it really, you know, kind of gives me, a pause of like, you know what, this, this really is. And, and I don't need to feel uh, ashamed or, or strange about using that term. So that was, my, that was a question I was going to ask you. What makes you uncomfortable about using that word miracle? I put it on such a pedestal, like faith. You can have faith in God. I mean, but faith, let's say generally people who, you know, maybe don't have a, a, a faith. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, a firm belief in something that you don't have total proof of and then you look at like a miracle and the words you know it's like it's just it's just like something magical i mean it's it's something that i put up on a pedestal and and yes i mean there's miracles all around us but those happen to other people right um they don't happen to me and so to use that term to me is a is a big deal and it's taken me yeah it's taken me a long time to i now used to call it my bad leg uh -huh. I now refer to it as my miracle life. There you go. Uh, I got. I got to ask you this, Sean. I'm sitting here. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Should I? I'm going to ask you. Don't you feel that you're worthy of a miracle, of being a miracle? Mm -hmm. It's taken a long time, and that's. I mean, yeah. I mean, but it's awkward to say. But yeah, you are worthy, really man. You're worthy of that, brother. Appreciate you are worthy, yeah. man. You're worthy, and I and I and and, and don't. It's like, you know, we got a gift here. You, you got a gift, right? You got this 20, 32 year grant that's lasted. You know, it's a miracle and it's a gift, man. And dude, if you weren't worthy of it, that wouldn't have happened, right? Yeah. You, you well, are. I mean, it kind of comes back to I don't know. Um, did you ever get a chance or, or know of John O'Leary? 
Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So I had a chance to, to see him speak on a couple of different occasions and, and, and meet him. And, um, you know, you asked a question earlier about why. Did you, did you ever question God or do you ever question why or why me? And, and he puts it, you know, people say, well, why not? But he puts it a different way. And I, I really resonated with this. He said, it's more in how it's asked. Is it why or is it why? Yeah, 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 yeah. Love that. One is question in a negative way and it's a woe is me. The other one is is why. And, and you said every, you have a story. And I, what's funny is I am very much, I've said this to so many people, everybody has a story to tell. And most of us don't share it, um, whether it's to our friends or our family. It doesn't need to be anything extreme, but it is weird when it comes back to you. And how it's it's easy to to see that in other people, but yet oftentimes it's hard to to see it in yourself. And and I think the miracle gets bigger when we start to see it in ourselves. It's not about ego. It's not about arrogance. It's about the, the we, we, we. I said it earlier. We're given this gift of a miracle, and, and you're living it. You're living it right now. And you know you you got a, a, something else coming up here, another potential surgery, and something else is going to come of it. And, and I believe in a good way and I'll pray for that. Right. And, but it's like you, this is such, this is a huge thing to share with people and it might resonate with one. It might resonate with a thousand who knows, but it's going to resonate with somebody. And for those who can't see the video here, he's Sean's wearing a, a shirt that says live a great story. Is that what it says? Great story. Yeah. I can't see the bottom. What live a great story. story. And he said it, we all have a story. And, and I, I remember I was in Toastmasters uh, years ago, at a Toastmasters evening event and people tend to think that there's a story. They think it's so small that it might not impact anybody. So no matter how big or how little your story is, it, as long as it impacts one person, man, that's all that matters in my mind. I think that that's all that matters in God's mind. And he's chiseled away at you. He's chiseled away at you for a long time. Continu continuing to do so. I mean, that's the other thing too. It, it is, it, and it sounds so cliche to say, but it's true. And it's taken me so long to, to figure it and appreciate it that it, it's not. And that's why I, I'm like, why, why, why does this continue? Why didn't this just end at whatever? And, and so it's not a destination. It's, it's kind of all these steps. And once you recognize it and you just accept that it's, it's kind of liberating. It's like, okay, what's, what's the next portion now? I, and I say that I don't want to lose my leg. <laughs> I don't want another surgery. Yeah. Uh, we don't want all, that kind of chisel, right? We don't want that chisel. Don't <laughs> want that kind of chisel. But you know what, if that, if that ends up being part of the story, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to figure it out. I love that. Say that again. We're going to what? I said, we'll figure out a way, a way to figure, figure it, out. it out. Right. We figure it out. Right. And uh, dude, the, there's a part of this that I, I like It's the resilience of Sean Hackney. I mean, this look, man, 27, 32 years of resilience. I mean, you're a resilient guy. And if people can't listen to this and see that, man, how can like, I, I, if I'm watching this or listening to this and, and I'm, I'm a, a listener, I'm like, man, resilience, man, that guy had 32 years of resilience. What can I be more resilient with? What am I being worked on or chiseled at that I need to be more resilient? If, if there's anything that I, I could add to this is you're a resilient guy. And that's in resilience is a strength. It's a, a huge what trait that, that you have. And that, I think, can be the inspiration for so many people to listen to and share with you, Sean. I hope so. I mean, I, I truly, honestly, I, I had one last, I, I, a quote that I've always lived by, and, and I, I don't even know who said it, but I've always kind of, it, it makes sense to me and how I operate. It's, you know, a ship in the harbor is safe. 
but that's not what it was intended for. And you're so, sailing, my friend. You know, and, and hopefully this gives people the inspiration, be intentional, uh, whatever challenges. And we're all going through challenges, right? Just uh, you be intentional with the next step. So uh, before I wrap things up with people, I usually ask this question. You already kind of answered it, but do you believe God's got some more chiseling going on with Sean Hackney? Oh my goodness, does he? <laughs> this is a this will be a forever story, I hope. And, yeah, uh, no, keep going. And it keeps going. I mean, I've got I've got a lot to learn. I got a lot to be chiseled. Uh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, look, Sean, I am so honored and so. Uh, I mean, happy to be able to share this with other people and you to share the story with me and others on this show. And you, you are truly an inspiration, my friend, truly an inspiration. I if, appreciate it. Yeah. So somebody, you're a realtor, you're an out in it's Gaston, Oregon. Is that what it is? No, now I'm up in Bellingham, Washington, where I went to school. I never, uh, I never I'm, went back home. Uh, I'm sorry. I got that mixed up, everybody. So yeah, you said right. Bellingham, Bellingham, Washington. If, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you, Sean? You know, uh, it's pretty easy. You can Google, uh, you know, Sean, S-E-A-N, spelled the right way, uh, Hackney. <laughs> and uh, usually I pop up pretty easily on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. All those are pretty easy. And would love to connect if this insp- inspires anybody and or, you know, can help connect anybody. That's It's a big driving force in my life to be able to help people do that. So please reach out. Is there an email or phone number you want to share? Oh, it's long. Uh, let's do the easy one. Sean Hackney, H-A-C-K-N-E-Y, at Comcast.net. That's easy. That's easy. That's easy. So, man, Sean, thank you so much. And whether you're uh, a person who wants to do a triathlon at some point and wants to pick Sean's brain about that, or whether you're going some trials or tribulations, something that, similar to what Sean's gone through, you want to you know, understand what was going through his mind during those times, feel free to reach out to me. He's been a great guest today, sharing a great story. And Sean, thank you again. And until next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. You just got chiseled with Rob Hunter. Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon, Better Than Equal.